Well, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at your table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. Three hosts today. And why is it that we have three hosts today? Is it a special episode or something? It's because it is our 100th episode. We have Woo-hoo! been recording what? for 100 episodes at this point. That is crazy. And that's not even like counting like Diamnastic splitting off as his own thing, story time as his own thing. Yeah. But 100 episodes. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so we have us three as hosts today, and we are joined by a bunch of guests who are here just to talk about some of their confessions as a struggling DM along their journey. This episode is very much about victory in the sense that we are super excited that we are at 100 episodes and we are going to continue going strong. But like Chris said, we also thought that a great idea for this 100th episode is to talk about confessions and struggles. And so, like Chris said, we have lots of people that have joined to be a part of this episode and we're going to be sharing a little bit and just about these things that you know what as dms as gms we struggle too and we have a lot of mistakes under our belt (laughs) and mistakes help you grow and so we're going to be hearing from a lot of these guests and from ourselves a little bit about just things that we have struggled with continue to struggle with and how you can overcome those things. Even after 100 episodes, all of us have enough respect for the rest of the industry and what we do that we know we don't know everything. And I think that's why we do this podcast is to try and share that knowledge with everyone that is willing to listen to our dulcet tones. (laughs) Your dulcet tones. Well, okay, my dulcet tones. (laughs) You are the one who's known for dulcet tones. (laughs) And with that, we'll get into our first confessions. Hey everybody, this is James Intracasso from The Tome Show and from worldbuilderblog.me. My DM career has been full of mistakes, all kinds of stuff, but I'm going to pick one specific story from my fourth edition Dungeons & Dragons days. There was a big adventure path out where, in the end, it culminated with a big fight against Orcus. Uh, That adventure at the very end of the path was called E3, The Prince of Undeath. And in that adventure, uh, there's this big fight against Orcus, and he's got the Raven Queen, who is the goddess of death, who he is trying to depose, pinned to the ground by a sentient crystal, and this sentient crystal is drawing out her deity-ness, her divine goddessness, and transferring it to him, Orcus. Anyway, my players were kicking Orcus's patoot, uh, and I was pretty upset about it. I wanted this to be a tough, climactic battle, uh, and those 4th edition 30th level characters were just super, super tough. Uh, At the same time, Vegas Lancaster, who is an amazing comedian, often on the Tome Show as well, was playing a drow rogue named Castle. Castle had two magic daggers, and he shoved them into the side of this sentient crystal, and he said... I want to try to intimidate the crystal so I can better draw it out of the Raven Queen Um, because he knew he didn't have strength. So he thought if he could cow the crystal, remember, which was sentient, he could make it happen. And I was so mad at the way the fight was going that I said, no, 
no, you can't do it, just no, flat out no. And now when I look back on it, I, I think about the possibilities of things that could have happened. Uh, you know, I, I should have let him do it, first of all, or rather, I should have responded, I will let you try. Because, I mean, this it's this epic God-draining crystal. Even with a really good check, you might fail, right? So what if, I mean, what if he had done that? And what if he had scored so well that this evil crystal was so impressed by how intimidating Castle was that it was drawn out of the Raven Queen and then it possessed him in some way. Or it took the divine essence that was being drawn from the Raven Queen into Orcus and transferred it to Castle. And then Castle had to make the choice. Did he want to become a god or did he want to save the Raven Queen? I killed all of those possibilities the moment that I said no. Not to mention all the fun things that could have happened if he had failed. Maybe the crystal grew another shard and then it was sucking the life out of both him and the Raven Queen, right? Um, So I am here to tell you, never tell your players no. Always tell them they can try and think of some interesting possibilities. The other thing I'm here to tell you is beef up Orcus if you are playing E3, the Prince of Undeath. Make it a better battle. Mike Shea at Sly Flourish has a good article about that. All right, I'll talk to you later. Hi, my name is Alan Patrick, and I'm the Associate Community Manager for the Dungeons & Dragons Adventurers League. Uh, Here for this special 100th episode of Dungeon Master's Block. Uh, Oh man, we want to talk about mistakes? I've I've made some mistakes over the years. I've been DMing, oh, I think I DMed my first game in probably 94 or 95, but didn't get real serious until maybe 2004 or 5. And uh, even by that, when I say serious, it was friendly games. And even though we played at the local game shop, it was still... Uh, organized play, but very much with a home campaign bend. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it, and uh, we made some interesting choices. One of those was uh, when we chose to incorporate some third-party creatures into an organized play adventure, because it sounded like a great thing to do, and we weren't super familiar with organized play structure at that time. We were young, we were just getting started, and my players had a great time. Except for one person. That one person who shall remain nameless, uh, I have a great relationship with now, but at the time, they were uh, working on Living Greyhawk for Wizards of the Coast and happened to be in the area. It's in uh, my, my store at the time, my home store, was in East Lansing, Michigan. So it was Michigan State University campus, and it was a former alumni, apparently. But uh, this person came in, and they joined us for the game. They were excited, and I ran the game, and that person looked like they were having just the worst time ever. And at the end of it, I asked him what was going on, and he proceeded to give me an earful about how I had broken all of the rules and how things were just terrible. And uh, he didn't go so far as to say that I shouldn't DM ever again, but he made some really, really strong recommendations about documentation that I should probably read. Well, suffice it to say, I've come a long way since then, and my players, I hope, still have fun. But uh, the big thing that I took away from it? Follow the basic directions and find your playground within there. I thought that I had to look for other people's printed product. And that environment, that conversation, actually helped me realize everything I need is in the player's handbook. It's all right there. Make it up as you go. This is a storytelling game. And I didn't really grasp how important that element really was 
until he spelled it out for me. Maybe he could have used some better words. But it's a new day, and people are happy, and that's all that matters. Thank you. I really, really liked what James had to say about never telling your players no. Uh, this is something that I've struggled with in the past. I may not have said no, but internally, like I have this anxiety that builds up when something doesn't go to plan the way that I want it to. And I have a really hard time not trying to steer them into not saying no, but just get them to do what I want <laughs> to do with them yep. thinking mm. you know, it was their, their idea to do it. And so in a way that's telling the players no and still getting the thing out that I wanted. But yeah, that, that has always been a struggle for me just to say to my players like, yeah, no, you can't do that. I hmm. really want to say that, but I know that that's not the thing that I should say. And it eats me up inside every single time that I don't get my way when I'm at the table. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, is like almost not just no, but that passive aggressive version like you mentioned and how much I know that I still do that. Just like, I'll mm, guide right. you. I'll never say no, but I'm going to you know, force you kind of to do the thing I want. And now I have to stop because James Intercasso told me so. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's totally something that I echo so much what you guys just said, that it's something that I strive to do more and more to not say no as often as possible. And I find myself kicking myself sometimes after games because I'm like, I did it. I did it again. I said no when I should have just thought about it and said yes like why couldn't i've just said yes or like james said yeah you can just why don't you just try like go ahead try like well and i really liked what alan had to say too about you know this this is a storytelling type of game and it's not just me telling the story it's not just you know so and so sitting next to me telling the story it's all of us together telling one big story and if that's somebody has a great idea that's different than mine i have to acknowledge that and they want to do it i should say yes to that sort of thing. My my plan can change and hmm. evolve as I'm going through. And if everybody's having a fun time telling the same story that's being crafted by everybody, like pff, more power to us, man. That's probably going to bring us closer together as friends and as a group than me just being like, nope, you, you can't do that sort of thing. Hello, Blockheads. Michael here from the RPG Academy podcast. And I'm here to share some of the wisdom that I have gleaned from my many years of playing tabletop RPGs. When Mitch and Chris had first asked me to be part of their 100th episode celebration and share some of the mistakes that I've made, I thought, sure, this will be easy. I make lots of mistakes. But then it kind of turned out to be hard to, to narrow it down to the one I wanted to cover. Not because I don't make mistakes, partially because I make so many, but I also wanted to share something that I didn't think it was going to get covered by anyone else, or certainly not by a lot of people. So I finally came up with one that I feel is pretty, pretty much a Michaelism. And it's something that I know that I do. I've done it before. I probably will do it again, even though I know that I shouldn't. And the idea is that I will often, in an effort to continue to ramp up the tension and the excitement and the drama in a game, not allow the the players to feel any sort of real accomplishment because as I set them on a path to solve a mystery or to defeat somebody or to solve a problem before they actually accomplish that I throw another problem at them like I throw a curveball at them that is now more important takes precedence and they have to accomplish it first and I don't always give them time to go back to the first challenge and then often I will then throw a third and a fourth and a fifth challenge continually sort of zigzagging them along, never letting them complete any one thing 
completely before the next thing happens. Now, I do think it's important to subvert expectations, and you don't always want things to be completely linear, A, B, to C, to D. If you do anything too much, it becomes a problem, all things in moderation. And I have done this to excess, uh, to the point, for example, think of it as if they were, the, the players found out someone had been murdered, an NPC, and they're trying to investigate. And during the investigation, they learned that maybe they weren't actually dead, they faked their own death. And then after that, they find out that a third party has actually accused them of the murder of the person that they alone know isn't dead. I think that sounds like a kind of a cool adventure. But then before they can solve any of those three challenges, another one comes at them. Maybe the police station gets blown up and now there's really no, no police force to care about that murder or about who did what. Uh, and now they have to deal with that situation. And then before they figure out who bombed that, there's a, a ogre attack and they have to you know leave the town to go do, deal with that. Um, I'm keeping the tension high and I'm, I'm throwing all these curveballs, but it never allows them to have any sort of sense of, hey, we actually accomplished something. You know, think of it as if you were to put the characters in a dungeon and then before they complete that dungeon, they fall through a portal into a completely unrelated dungeon. And then while they're in that dungeon, they get captured by someone. They get traveled across the continent and put into a third dungeon. And then before they get out of that dungeon, something else happens and they get shunted into an extra planar dimension. At no point did they ever actually go, okay, we've completed this one thing. Let's move on to the next. So long story short, don't be afraid to subvert expectations. Don't be afraid to build upon mysteries. But also don't neglect the, the sense of accomplishment that players want from actually completing a challenge before you throw the next one at them. So there you go. Hopefully this has been helpful in some regard. Hopefully you will learn from my mistakes and not repeat them. And hopefully you'll continue to play games because RPGs are fun. So this has been Michael from the RPG Academy. Thank you, Mitch and Chris, for inviting me on. And uh, congratulations on all the success of your show. It's very well deserved. And hopefully we'll be back for episode 200. Hey, everyone. It is the Caleb G from the RPG Academy. I am so happy to be here wishing Dungeon Master's Block congratulations on episode 100. You guys have been doing some great work. I cannot wait to see what's in store for us all next. But today I'm here to share one of the worst mistakes I ever made as a DM. So here we go. Let's jump in the Wayback Machine and set it to my very first campaign ever. Now, I could tell you about how I wrote a railroad plot, tried to force the players to follow along, and the fights we had when they uh, deviated from what I thought was the right path. But what I consider the worst mistake I ever made is the three weeks I spent building the starting town. Now, I don't mean just drawing the map. No, I mean rolling the distribution for race, class, and level. Yeah, guys, I wrote up tables of how many fighters and what levels they were, how many druids, rangers, wizards, rogues, and all their levels, commoners, experts. I looked at the distribution of humans and dwarves and gnomes and elves. I had this on charts, and then something snapped in my head. I went crazy. I took the time to roll up those important NPCs. Yeah, guys, I found that most important fighter, rolled up the character, and made him the captain of the town guard. 
I took those wizards and I built wizard academies. I made thieves guilds. I took the rangers and figured out what they were doing out of town and in town. I built all the temples and figured out the cleric's domain spells. I went absolutely crazy doing this. And here is why this is the worst mistake ever. I spent about three weeks doing that. Within about half an hour in the first game session, the players left the town. That's right. They completely went on a different path and abandoned all of these details I had created and that I thought were important. Now, that right there is the mistake I made. Not the work. That was just a waste of time. The mistake I made was trying to decide and define those important details without talking to my players. That's the lesson I've learned here in the RPG Academy, working with the DMs block guys, just in my experience as a DM. Talk to your players. Let them tell you what's important about the game. Let them tell you what is important to their characters. Take those details and work them into the story. Work together to create this world and tell this story, and everyone is going to have so much more fun. So I, I hope you enjoyed listening to my mistakes. I hope you pick up on the important lesson and can use that in your own way, in your own game. Guys, again, congrats on 100 episodes. Thanks for letting me share with you here today. And uh, maybe I'll see you in Dayton in November at a Catacon, right? Have a good one, guys. Bye. That was the guys from the RPG Academy, and I just want to really focus in on what Michael had presented that neglecting that sense of accomplishment, because I feel like for us as DMs, we're so focused on the next 10 steps because we know what the story is. We know what the next thing is that we disregard what the players have done, just done. And I know I do that because that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Like, okay, what's going to happen when they go to the next room, but they just defeated this awesome encounter that I did. So giving the time to respect the accomplishment that they've done and the things that they want praise for, essentially, like this is the whole point, like you're setting up dominoes and they're knocking them down, but don't be too concerned about the things at the end of the line. Yeah, well, I think it's the thing that we often forget because we play D&D all the time that somebody walks into a room, kills a whole bunch of skeletons and it's like, all right, move on to the next room. But in reality, this may be the first thing that they've ever faced as a character and like giving them that opportunity to role play that and just acknowledge that sense of accomplishment because when we're level one facing like eight skeletons that should be really scary that doesn't happen in the natural world in our cities and coming up against those sort of things acknowledging those sorts of accomplishments and not just wanting to move on as a dm but allowing them that space to acknowledge those sorts of things i, I think can be a really good thing and a really opportune moment for you to allow the group to grow like going off of that one in relating it to what Caleb had said, that fight could mean more than just the numerical accomplishment of or tactical accomplishment of what they've defeated. But, you know, and you presented the idea of they just defeated skeletons. That could have been the thing that in their background is what killed their family, because as a D&D player, you should never have a family because the DM will use it against you. Just throwing that tidbit out there. <laughs> but yeah. defeating those skeletons could mean so much more. And that's the thing. You're building this story with your players, not just fighting numbers against numbers. It needs to mean more than that. Also, yes, we will see each other at a catacomb or we have seen each other and we are now either the best of friends or the worst of enemies. <laughs> Only time will tell, Caleb. Only time will Not tell. Not the worst of friends or the best of enemies. Hey, you never know. This is Lou Anders, author of the Thrones and Bones series of fantasy novels. 
congratulating DM's Block on their 100th episode. For my confessions of a struggling DM, I have a dark and twisted confession. I am sorry, deeply, embarrassed and ashamed that I did not murder my son. That's right, murder my son. We are playing not Dungeons and Dragons, please forgive me listeners, but actually Fake Core. We play a game set in the world of my Thrones and Bones novels, and I'm running the game for my son, my nephew, and some of their friends, and actually now my daughter, too. A player's age ranges range from 7 years old to about 13 years old. We had one particular game that was coming to the end of a campaign. We were going to start off a new campaign next session. People were getting ready to build new characters, headed new directions. We were going to make some tweaks to the rules. So this really was the end. And in the big fight, my son was taking hit after hit after hit, and he was almost dead, and one more blow would have killed him. And for no reason at all, the NPC that was attacking him turned and attacked my nephew instead. And my boy looked at me with disgust and said, Dad, the only reason you didn't kill me is because I'm your son. And he called me on it, and he was right. And I should have let him die. He would have enjoyed it. It would have been dramatic. It would have been his first time to lose a character. Uh, And it probably would have made the game much better. So... In writing, they say kill your darlings, and in gaming, it probably holds true. Hey everyone, Alex here from BattleBards, and I've been a game master for about 20 years now, and I've most certainly made my share of mistakes. Probably one of the biggest ones that I can think of that I made pretty early on was pulling back too many punches from my players and removing that fear of God. Uh, What this did relatively quickly was have my players essentially lose respect for the challenges that I put before them, where they would commit to more and more ridiculous actions because they know if push comes to shove, I'll pull pull their feet from the fire. But I think more importantly, this also removed the sense of drama in the game where in a typical uh, encounter, sometimes you have to make that decision or the players make that, that decision. Do they fight or do they run? Every fight just becomes a default action. Well, of course they fight because the DM's really not going to kill me. And that took an awful lot away from the game, kind of making it into a generic video game of sorts. And that's not really what tabletop gaming, I think, is about. So to you DMs out there, I know it's tough, especially when the campaign has gone long and both you and your players are emotionally invested into a character. But keep in mind, once you start making these actions that uh, save the players when it should not have otherwise have happened. All of a sudden, the monster keeps missing all the time, or a crit isn't a crit. You tell them, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to find that your players are just quickly going to abuse that situation, even if they don't intend to do it. They're going to push things beyond where it would normally should be pushed. So you've got to hold back from that. Stick to your guns. And you're going to find that you're going to have a much more enjoyable experience if that specter of death hangs in the background. So guys, I hope that was uh, interesting, and uh, I'll see you guys at the gaming table. Well, thanks, Lou Anders and Alex, for what you just shared. Your stories like resonate so much with me, Lou, about you uh, not murdering your son, um, and Alex about uh, not pulling back 
on your punches with your players. I resonate so much with that. I remember for about the first like two-ish years of just DMing, just I really, really never killed my players. Uh, not the, whoa, <laughs> killed my yeah. PCs, their characters. Uh, I'm glad I didn't kill my players. But yeah, I, I mean, I, it was one, this thing of like, I loved their characters so much and I loved where they were in my story. And I also, I killing characters can be really difficult and it can like be awkward and so I kind of shied away from that and they got used to the whole well Mitchell pull a deus ex machina and pull me out of the fire he'll, he'll like make sure that I'll get hurt and I could see my players doing things that I'm like normal people don't do that why are their characters doing that they have no fear there's no drama it's such something that we need to be able to do as DMs and to be able to do that as players and characters to just be able to say, hey, I died. That's okay. Yeah, that's that's one reason why, and Mitch, you may have noticed this, when I DM recently, I've, I've rolled in front of the players because yeah. I, I wanted to, that was something that I noticed about myself and I wanted to prevent myself by letting everybody see like attack rolls and things like that. So I've started rolling in front of my players so that they know that I'm not lying. They know like, oh, he's not holding back at this point. Like if I roll three crits in a row, their players are probably gonna die. And I want that reality to be something that that it is a real opportunity for them to die and not just like, well, I can't see so I can fudge things. And you know, um, that's what I still have my computer screen for if I wanna roll you know, and fudge <laughs> things. But, uh, but as far as attack rolls, like that's part of the reason why I wanted to do that was to eliminate that sort of, well, Chris is just gonna save us from the fires of death. It also eliminates pressure too when you roll nat 20s and yeah. the monsters are murdering us of eight. <laughs> Dice <laughs> did it, man. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, we've got some more confessions and the next one is from Josh Lormer from the Sneak Attack podcast. I don't know if you guys are ready for this one. This one's really well done. So take it away, Josh. The world of Elestria is full of magic and intrigue. Every fourth year, a great council of all races is held. Thousands come to the city of Alistair from every corner of the world. There, in the Hall of Audience, eight places are set, yet one place remains empty. Little is known of the High Elves and their absence, but even less is known of their darker relation, the Drow. Shrouded in myth, children's tales told by mothers to their ill-mannered little ones. Harbor no hate in your heart, pain no living thing, or those who hate and pain will come for you. And in the midst of the gathered council, they came. From a flying fortress, they fell upon the hall. It seemed that all was lost. Yet there were four that held witness that day. As husbands and wives, children and elders ran to leave the melee, four brave souls ran into it. And that's where the adventure began. They rescued the council and began their quest to save the world. Elestria was your basic homebrew. Over the course of a year, I spent countless hours and days developing each city, mage tower, and dungeon as my players traveled and explored. But the greatest piece of the puzzle was the floating citadel of the drow. And after a year of playing in this world, letting my players travel wherever they pleased and take on whatever challenges arose, I was finally ready to give them the mother of all adventures. After having saved the dwarven city of Kazkerik, deep below the Graic Mountains, our heroes took to the road, back to Alistair, 
seeking answers to some very perplexing questions. Without sound or warning, the party was set upon by an ambush of dark elf warriors. Arrows fell from the sky, magic coursed through the air, and a bloated, misshapen, half-drow, half-spider abomination charged on. Our most capable heroes crippled the beast and put down the drow opposition. Yet a single enemy, still alive, opened a portal with a magical pendant, trying to escape. Arrows and magic flew, stopping the drow dead in his tracks. They looked towards the portal, then back at one another, knowing that they shared the same thought. This was it! This was everything I had been planning for the entire year. They would enter the portal and discover the flying citadel of the drow. Four weeks prior, I had begun fleshing out the citadel, layer upon layer of D&D gold. As a DM, these are the moments you live for, the moments when the whole story just finally comes together. Looking each other in the eye, they all knew what they had to do. We're not going in there, right? Heck no! Gotta be a trap! Let's just keep walking on the road. But, but you sense the pull of the portal as if all roads were leading you to this one moment. No way we're falling for some kind of magical influence bull. So, you're just going to take the pendant and go? Yeah. That was it. Shortly after, we stopped playing that campaign. I made the greatest mistake a DM can make when planning. I forgot common sense. I'd been playing with these guys for over a year. I knew better. They're thoughtful, pragmatic, intelligent, and above all else, really cautious. And the takeaway here is always be aware of your players when planning. To this day, the Dark Elves Flying Citadel remains unchallenged. Perhaps one day, the gods will find a champion brave enough and stupid enough to enter the sinister floating fortress. Until then, it remains a dark and steady reminder that nothing ever goes as planned. Hello, Blockheads. My name is Andrew Bleeker, otherwise known as Friar Took on the Dungeon Masters Block Forum and on Twitter. And I'm here today to tell you about my greatest mistake as a Dungeon Master or Game Master. But first I would just like to congratulate the Dungeon Master's Block on 100 episodes. I've been here since episode 3 listening, and it's just been incredible. It's been an incredible journey to see the network grow and change, to see all the amazing people come on the show, to see the community engagement, to see some of the most active, biggest fans become hosts themselves. I'm looking at you, Phil and Neil. It's just been incredible, and Chris and Mitch, thank you so much for all you've done and for creating this incredible show and this incredible community. I look forward to listening every week, and I know a lot of other people do too, and I hope for another 100 incredible episodes moving forward. On that note, I'd like to tell you about my greatest mistake as a dungeon master or game master. This mistake was assuming that my players wanted to be the heroes of the story. It's a pretty natural assumption for most D&D modules, for most campaigns, for most of stories that we write as Dungeon Masters, we assume that our players are the heroes of the story. My players didn't want to be heroes. I wrote two campaigns under this assumption, and they proceeded to dismantle these campaigns with their choices really fast. I learned a lot. as a It was great as a crash course for Dungeon Master Improv, because I had to come up with a lot of stuff on the fly real quick, because they weren't doing anything that I expected them to do, and were making the opposite of choices I expected them to make. Finally, I realized what was happening, 
and that they were villains when we were playing the Star Wars RPG and they decided to kidnap a group of Jedi children. Because, and I quote, it'll be easier to steal their lightsabers because they're just kids. I realized my players are the villains. In this story we're playing in, they're the bad guys. So what do you do when you have a Dungeon Master problem or a Game Master problem? You go to the forums. You go to the Dungeon Master's Block forums. I made a post there saying, oh my god, you guys, this is what's going on. I don't know what to do. I got a lot of great advice and a lot of great feedback and a lot of great sympathy. There was one piece of advice that really stood out for me, and that was made by Swordnut on the Dungeon Master's Block forum. It was one sentence. It just said, villains need a hero. And I realized, yeah. If they're the bad guys, I need to throw some good guys at them. So I did. And that campaign ended with an epic showdown between some heroes and my crew of villains. Half the party died. Everybody had a great time. I felt great and vindicated because I got to really punish these horrible... These characters who just had horrible behavior this whole campaign. They felt great because they got to really let out their villainousness and really be crazy and really just fight these good guys. And in the end, half the party died, the rest got away, barely by the skin of their teeth, based off one die roll, and they got away. And that was the end of our campaign, and we did a little epilogue. And it was great, and it was fun. So, my advice to any Dungeon Masters out there is, don't assume that your players want to be the heroes. Talk to them about it first before you write up your campaign or your module, because they might not be interested in being the heroes. They might want to be the villains. So thanks for listening, everybody. Congratulations, Chris, Mitch, Phil, Neil. 100 episodes. What a milestone. Take care, everyone, and as always, keep on Dungeon Mastery. You know, going off of these uh, these confessions, I think I oftentimes, too, neglect the fact that I just don't assume that my players just automatically want to run into things. Like, I, I oftentimes, like Josh was saying, forget that my players are pragmatic, they're thoughtful, they're intelligent, and they're careful. They some well, most of the time they're careful. <laughs> Sometimes they forget that. But you know, there's those moments like a big fortress. We're not going in there, sort of thing. And it, it makes sense. And oftentimes I think we we build these, you know, we come in with a massive end game. This is where we want them to go. And the reality is like players probably will look at those situations and say, Yeah, I don't want to go in there. And how do we handle that as DMs? Do we do we roll with the punches sort of thing, or in those moments do we just say, nope, you're you're gonna keep going? And how do we how do we you know that that's a hard road to navigate as a DM. Like how do I at the same time not be upset that they totally screwed over you know my great idea for a campaign, and how do I move forward and realize they're actually playing their characters really hmm. well? How do I reward that them for that sort of thing? You know, that's that's a that's a tricky and difficult road to, to navigate as a DM. So Josh, I thank you for your insight and your vulnerability in, in, in sharing that sort of thing. Yeah, so I mean we just invest so much as DMs that I think that's what we hold to is that we're you know invested possibly more so than the players in what the story should be. I made air quotes. You can't see that. It's a podcast, but uh, what the story should <laughs> 100th be. 100th episode, still making air yeah. quotes. <laughs> the, I keep making them. Come on. If I make them hard enough, you guys will hear them. The, <laughs> But I actually helped Andrew work through the idea that his players were not heroes. And it's a difficult thing. And I don't know that how I would be 
in his shoes, I think I would definitely have to like talk to someone else because it would be so jarring to have set up a story for heroes to only find out that you're actually pl playing with the villains and then adjusting. But I think he did a great job from what I know. Hello friends, I'm Taylor from the Leviathan Files, Game Closet, and Riverhouse Games. I'm so pumped to share in this milestone for the DMs block. Before I get too deep on my mistakes, I want to say thank you to the guys at the DMB. Yours was one of the first podcasts I started listening to, and aside from the countless lessons I've learned listening to the show, it's also a huge springboard for me to find other awesome people. What you guys do is invaluable, and you're an integral part of my foundation as a tabletop gamer. Happy 100! So I've been incredibly blessed to have avoided some of the most terrible mistakes you can make as a DM, but I do have a few small examples that I've learned from over a decade of running games. When I first started DMing, I was 12, and like every other preteen dude at the table, I played to win. I'd start every game in a tavern and would have my favorite NPC, an elven ranger, pick a fight with my players and trounce them handily. For some unexplainable reason, people slowly stopped showing up to my games. This mistake seems incredibly obvious after years of experience, but at the time, I didn't see a problem. It seems pretty black and white on the surface, don't bully your players, but if we take it a step further, we can see a bigger issue. I wasn't celebrating my character or giving them a chance to shine. I was throwing an impersonal no-win scenario at them that was the same for every single game. As a DM, you can throw challenge after challenge at your players, even ones that may be impossible, but do it in a way that allows them to shine. Make every challenge special to your players so that even if they're failing, they're failing in a way that is specific and personal to their character. Fast forward a few years, and I played everything by the book. Running games in my friend's basement, I would have the PHB, DMG, Monster Manual, any module we were running, dungeon maps, NPC stat sheets, and any supplemental paperwork. Flipping through these for references constantly was fun, and it meant that any time that there was a reels dispute, I could point to something solid and say, check this out, I'm right. It also gave me a really good basis for all my prep. With the entire collection of rules and monsters and treasure at my fingertips, I could build and prep with every resource available. This also meant that after a certain point, my players knew everything that I could throw their way, since they owned all the books that I did. I knew this was a problem, but had no clue how to solve it, until it beat me over the head with the answer. I was asked to sit in on a game with my friend, his brother, and their dad. I showed up with my duffel bag of books and sat down, expecting them to have the same collection as I. But I was surprised to see that they had only one beat-up copy of the PHB, and a slightly less beat-up copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide. No monster manual in sight. My friend's dad then proceeded to tell one of the most vibrant and inspiring stories I had ever been a part of, all off the top of his head. When I asked him how long it took for him to memorize all his rules, he looked at me in the face and said, Rules? I barely know how to run this game. I just tell a good story and assume one of my boys will call me out if I get something wrong. From then on, I would crack a book if I needed inspiration, but the pressure of knowing every single detail was gone. If the game was fun, it was because I was telling a great story, not because I had everything on paper. Now all those moments are in the past, and I'd like to think that I've grown as a GM quite significantly over the years, but even veteran GMs make mistakes. Just a few weeks ago, I was running a game of Velvet Glove set in Minneapolis during the 70s and 80s, and pacing the game using the track list to Prince's Purple Rain. I wanted every scene or big moment to match up chronologically with every single track. It was a great challenge and extremely rewarding, except for the one moment that I've been kicking myself over and over again since it happened. The characters had just finished a gang rumble and were getting stitched up on the sly in a veterinarian's office. One girl had just finished hooking up with her paramour to the song Darling Nikki, which who could have asked for a better song match, when another girl confronted the vet student who had let them in about their romantic squabbles. The next song in the album is When Doves Cry, a song about a failed affair that mirrors the protagonist's parents' failed relationship. I was elated because this was looking to be another great matchup. However, the scene played out with the characters resolving their differences and kissing. I was so set on keeping with my game's gimmick that I still chose to play the song at that moment. Even though I could have waited for a better opportunity, I wanted to stick with the pattern I had set, and the moment fell completely flat. I really, really wanted to make every scene in that game tie in with the Prince song, that I completely missed what was important in that moment. It ties back to beating the crap out of my PCs in a tavern. I'd let my vision for the game ruin that moment. No matter how good your plan is, you have to be willing to go off the script, off the plan, and off the book 
in order to make it the best game ever. So those are my mistakes. Uh, again, thank you so much for 100 episodes of DM Advice. Here's hoping to many, many more. Hey Blockheads, Morgan Jenkins from the Going In Blind podcast here, and just wanted to quickly share with you how being a terrible player actually taught me to be a better DM, and the mistakes I made along the way. We've all had those players, and I've been one of them, who will pick the stat that we're best at and use that for everything. Reading a book? History check. Climbing a wall? History check. Baking a pie? History check. Being told I can't use a history check, lawyering up and citing past examples, using a history check to do so. And the worst part is that as a human being, as an actual I exist human, I can bluff. And I bluff good. I can think up super plausible reasons why a history check would totally apply. Flawless logic that has all the players nodding with me and you feeling like the bad guy ruining our fun if you don't go along with me. And that's not great. That doesn't make for a good table. And I try really hard not to do that. But because I used to do it, I was able to see it in my players. I could tell that they were doing it, and my knee-jerk reaction to their cheeky manipulations, to them gaming the game instead of just playing it, was to shut down everything they tried to do with equally plausible reasons. At the end of a session, when I asked for feedback, you know, did you all have fun, I'd get an almost resounding yes with one, yeah, I guess so. Neither myself nor the player could quite figure out why this was so. Thankfully, I recorded these sessions, so I was able to hear them doing this thing and hear myself just blocking it every single time. I almost lost that player because of my own prejudices against my own playstyle. But we found that problem, and we worked out a system. They would tell me what they wanted to do, and then I would tell them the check they'd need to do it. It meant that they focused more on playing the role, and I found myself less likely to roadblock. It's a system I now apply to all my players, to all my games. The smart ones still met a game behind my back, but I'm less likely to notice it, and therefore less likely to subconsciously roadblock their efforts. So I guess the message here that I'd want you to take away is maybe sometimes players can get your hackles up. You might even end up dive-bombing their experience for the game because of it. And they don't have to be bad players, it doesn't make them bad players, though it can. But if you can learn to be aware of where your limitations are as a DM, of these reasonable things that just get your goat, and try to find workarounds, you might just save your table from crashing and burning. Thanks, Taylor and Morgan. Those were both awesome confessions. I, man, the things that Morgan especially was saying about, you know, sometimes your players, what does he say? Get your hackles up. <laughs> sometimes they like those great, those great, those great words, <laughs> those great words that Morgan Jenkins likes to use. And just being aware that you have points as a DM that you might just be like getting frustrated. And I think it's, I think those are the moments that are hardest in game to kind of, to check yourself and realize that. And I know for me, that's something that that's something that I constantly want to work on and get better on is those moments where players throw something at me that I'm not expecting or they're doing what I do in games, which is being an instigator and they're moving the story in a direction that I'm not expecting and Never. I wasn't prepared for. And I feel <laughs> those drops of sweat going down the back of my neck. Like there's two ways to react to that. There's, I mean, this harkens back to what James and Dracasa was saying, but there's, you can just say no or 
like both James and Morgan were saying, you can try to figure out a workaround. You can try to figure out a way to build your player up and go, yeah, totally. Okay, let's do that and change your story up. Be, be a little loose with your story. Allow some things to change. Allow some goofiness if that's what's going on to happen. But the hardest part is doing that in the moment. And that's something that I continuously want to get better at as a DM. Because I think Morgan hits it right on the head when he says, you might save your table from crashing and burning. If you don't do that, if you're not like flexible with your players, you're going to lose your players and then you won't have a game to play in. Yeah, and it ties back perfectly to what Taylor had mentioned in that you want your players to shine. Not every player has to shine every time, but you do need every player to shine at some point. And that shining could be the fact that they have something you weren't necessarily aware of that totally breaks what you thought was going on. You know, they have a spell that completely bypasses the direction you thought they had to go and then playing into that. But that's what that person had built their character to do. So crushing that dream, if you will, is probably just going to make your character very or make that player very sad because this is what they've been striving towards. They've been striving towards being successful and shining in that way. So allowing them to use what they've put down on their character sheet is definitely the way to go. Hi, this is Sean Merwin, co-host of Down with D&D and Dungeons and Dragons Freelancer. I wanted to take the time to wish Dungeon Master's Block a happy 100th episode. And here is my confession. Around the time of 3rd edition, I started working, working on organized play for Wizards of the Coast. I had a great time sitting in my desk, coming up with new adventures editing adventures, imagining how the players would be interacting with what we were creating. And then I would go to conventions around the country and run the games. And I would watch the players, trying to figure out what they liked, and I would try to stay as focused on the words on the page of the adventure as I could. And at the end of the day... I think my players were having a good time, but something just seemed off. And it took years for me to figure out what was the problem. The problem was, I was not focusing on having fun myself. And so I struggled for years to actually let go of all the work that had been done ahead of time and just have fun with the players at the table. Since I've had that revelation, I found myself enjoying myself more at conventions and at public play days, running for total strangers, as well as running for my own home group. But for all you DMs out there, whether you're running organized play or whether you're running your own campaigns, remember that you are there to have fun just as much as the players. And if you are having fun, there is a much better chance that the players are having fun as well. Thanks, everybody, and have a great one. Hi everyone, this is Rich Howard from Tribality and the upcoming Whelmed podcast. Confessions. So many confessions. I think probably the one that sticks with me, or the theme that sticks with me the most, has to do with being careful of your resources. This one's a hard one because this happened to me a lot. When I first moved to California, I was part of a gaming group that was large. Uh, I was used to gaming with the same three or four people back in Kentucky, and there really wasn't a lot of new people. You know, once in a while we'd have some players sit in, and that was pretty much it. 
But when I started a game, man, there was like everybody wanted in it because somebody was running a game. So I started running this Champions game, which was a really high-powered superhero game, which I really enjoyed. But I started with four players. I wanted to stay with four players. And I just got a lot of people telling me they wanted in the game. And there were some social contracts, and I was relatively new to the area. And I wanted to be like, okay, I can adapt to five. All right. Okay, six. All right, seven. Okay, eight is like the one. Eight is the max. <laughs> I ended up running this high-power superhero game for eight people, and it was just it just got to be a mess. And I tried to I tried to balance it out, but you got too many personalities with eight, too many playstyles to be able to focus on a storyline. And I should have stuck to my guns and said, guys, I just want to run a game that's focused on, you know, a particular story. So manage your resources, try and focus on the players, the numbers, try and keep your numbers within a range that you can do so that you can make sure that you get a good story for yourself, but mostly for your players and make sure everybody gets the attention that they need and, and the appropriateness that they need. I don't know. Hope any of that's helpful. Can't wait to listen to everybody else's stories. <laughs> this ought to be good. I remember back when I was in college, I ran games of D&D for groups of eight plus people, kind of like what uh, Rich was talking about. And just like Sean was talking about, it got to the point where it was more mediating between people and realizing that people were sitting at the table not interacting. And I was not having fun as a DM because I it felt like a workload rather than it did feel fun. And if I had just said, all right, we're just going to keep it to our core group of players, it would have been a better choice. It was good because it introduced new people to Dungeons and Dragons who had never played before and never maybe would have played. Uh, but it definitely created created some hard situations and especially back in those days I think the choice for me would the easier choice for me would have just been go let's just do two groups because I had endless amounts of time back in those days <laughs> but yeah it can, it can get hard when you have so many people at a table that you're not able to give the right focus to each person who's there that they're characters and they deserve it I think that's what Sean talked about a little bit too is getting so caught up with the work that has to go in behind the DM screen that you yourself, you know, you forget to play the game with your players. And the more people you have at the table, the more, the easier it is for you to get caught up, you know, flipping through tabs, making hmm. sure you got all the backstories right, making sure you've got, you know, NPC names for this place that this person's going to and items that this person wants to buy over here. And, you know, all of this stuff can take up our time as DMs when the reality is like, sometimes we just have to be okay or sometimes we just have to ask our players well you come up with something for this you know <laughs> because i want to play this with you too like give me a name of a person what what race are they and then i can just go right off of that instead mm -hmm. of having to overwork my brain overwork my computer or my notes or whatever it is I, you know i think that's a really big struggle and i think sean hits it perfectly with saying we oftentimes get too caught up in the work that we have to do behind the table or behind the screen at the table that we forget to play the game with our friends that are coming to play the game with us. The next two confessions come from author and game designer, J.M. Perkins, and host of Party of One, Jeff Stormer. Hi, DM's Block. For your 100th episode, I wanted to tell a story about one time I messed up as a DM and how I got better. So actually, for me, what I messed up as is... For a while, I stopped having fun. 
You know, I'm in a weird place where I am converting something that is a hobby into my career. And who knows how much of my career that's going to be. Um, I hope a lot, but that's honestly not what it's about. And there was a while there where gaming became a chore. You know, it, it became something that I could succeed or fail at because I had goals. Like, I needed to playtest this thing, and I needed to make sure this was working. And, and it, it stopped being about the player's fun and my fun, and it started being about this other thing. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I learned, is that you can totally get hung up on doing it right, or, you know, oh, you should have had more rules mastery, or oh, you should have handled that better, or oh, you should have done this. But when it all comes down to it, just ask yourself one simple question. Is everyone at the table having fun? And if the answer is yes, then you're doing it right. And if the answer is no, you don't have to do it. And if you do do it, figure out how you can get back to that place of fun. Because believe me, it's worth it. The first time I ran a two-player game, I hadn't played a game in a while. I hadn't run a game in a while. So I pitched the idea to a friend as a way to get back in the swing of things. And she was thrilled with the idea. She was like, let's do it. We picked a night. We made plans. It was great. I got so excited that I ran back to my computer and I wrote up this whole big World of Darkness knockoff adventure that we were going to go through. And it was cool. And there were ghosts and wizards and all that cool stuff. We sat down at the table and I said, great, I'm ready to go. I've got stuff written. Who do you want to play? And she said, who can I play? And I said, you can play anybody you want as long as it's modern day. She sat there for a while and she thought about it and she said, I want to play a happy-go-lucky bartender who goes on wacky misadventures. And I said, okay, great. So we rolled up that character, we started going, and I we went through the game that I had written. The Dark World of Darkness knockoff. There was, she, her character ended up killing a cop and there was a haunted house. It was a whole thing. We got about a half hour into it. She looks at me and is like, can we call it a night? Because I'm not really having fun. And I was heartbroken. Crestfallen. So I'm like, what's wrong? Like, talk to me what's wrong. Maybe we can, like, salvage it. And she's like, yeah, this isn't really... This isn't really the story that I thought we were going to tell when I said I wanted to play a happy-go-lucky bartender who goes on wacky misadventures. And I sat there for a while and realized she's right. She gave me a character and a story, and I did not follow through on it. I put those things in the backseat to the story that I had previously written on my own. And that was kind of the moment that I realized, like, that the, the what it says in Dungeon World is correct, is 100% correct. Your characters are the stars of the story. The story that you're telling is the story of the, is their story. And so ever since then, anytime I've played a game, whether it be two players, four players, eight players... The first thing I ask is, what does your character do? What is their shtick? Like, what story are they interested in telling? And I find a way to make that story work. And the stories I've told since then have been so much more satisfying than, like, going back to my computer and writing World of Darkness knockoffs and, you know. Because the thing is, players are the stars of the story. Playing off what J.M. Perkins said... I feel like this is a question that we all get asked by people that don't really understand what tabletop gaming is. Did you win? 
And it's a much more complicated question for us as DMs. But the answer is yes, if everyone had a good time. And that's what I tell people is like, everyone had a good time? Yes, I was successful and I won at playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that's the key Hmm. is that from what he was saying, like you can't get hung up in, oh, this nuanced rule, I should have had a plus two, but I didn't, or I did have disadvantage or I didn't. As long as your goal and what you strive for is having fun, then you're doing it right. And I think that might even be the tagline of the RPG Academy. And along the lines of what like you're saying and JM was saying, Jeff hit the nail on the head too by saying your characters are the star of your story. You may be DMing, but if you don't remember that the players are on your table, they're playing characters, and those characters are the main characters in your story and what they really would like to see happen with their characters. Like, you need to take that into account. You can work with them and work together, and things might be different than exactly what they envisioned, but you need to take that into account, and you need to honor that, or your PCs and your players are not going to have a good time. Although I do think it would be fun to read a novel where the characters are fighting against the narrator. Like, I don't want to do that stupid thing. (laughs) That would be stranger than fiction. (laughs) Boom. Awesome. (laughs) Our next two confessions come from Mark Cookman, who is the founder and game designer for Black Shark Publishing, and Heather Stern, who is a moderator for a very large group of DMs on Facebook. Hello. My name is Mark Cookman, and I am a struggling GM. This is a chilling tale from October of 1987. I created an adventure for a horror RPG named Chill. That was the original one by Pace Center Limited. The adventure was centered around a 19th century riverboat on the Mississippi, and it was based upon characters and events from the 1982 novel Fever Dream by George R. R. Martin. Now, I had run published modules at conventions before, but this was the first time that I'd ever run my own adventure at one. I worked hard for a month, researching to get every detail right. I drew out a large riverboat diagram to serve as a map, and I had multiple decks ready. I created a group of carefully crafted characters that could combine their skills and resources to both solve the mystery and then defeat the bad guys. In the week before the convention, I constantly reviewed the NPCs, the maps, the pre-generated player characters, and my own adventure outline. I knew just how everything was going to go, and when game time finally came, I was a little bit nervous but I felt that I was ready. (laughs) I wasn't ready at all. My first mistake became apparent before the session had even started. The game allowed for six player spots, but there were only five interested players. There were two essential characters that both had an object made from ivory in their inventory. Ivory being the weakness of the breed of vampire in my adventure. Unfortunately, none of my players really wanted to play either of these necessary characters. When a player asked if he could roll up another character or if he could just play a duplicate of the soldier character because he didn't want to play either of the remaining ones, I panicked. I said no, he had to choose one of the pre-gen characters. He begrudgingly chose the riverboat gambler and stated that he was an angry and aggressive alcoholic veteran who made money by playing cards. Next, he began putting lines through all of the items in his inventory and asked for items more appropriate to his character. One of the items he was throwing out was, of course, the weapon that the group would need later on in the adventure. 
I told him that the walking stick was somehow magical, but his character didn't understand how, just to ensure that he would keep the item. Another mistake, and perhaps the fatal one, because 45 minutes into the game, the ex-soldier-slash-gambler attacked an NPC during an argument and killed him with the ivory-headed cane. Unfortunately, the NPC that he killed was the disguised leader of the good vampire faction. With no more good guys to keep the bad guys in check, the vampires quickly slaughtered every human on board the riverboat Fever Dream. The adventure was a TPK, 45 minutes into a four-hour slot. I did several things wrong my first time in the big show, but here's a good top three wrongs for you. First, I developed my adventure from a piece of fan fiction that I wrote, so I clearly had a preconceived notion of how the story should go. Basically, I wrote a play, not an RPG adventure. Second, I created detailed roles for my players to adopt, and I expected them to adopt those roles without question. Most foolishly, I didn't allow for my players' creativity even in the characters that they were to play in my game. Third, and most importantly, I robbed my players of a three to four hour game by a poor decision that I made behind the screen. We can all learn from our mistakes and grow better. I hope that my confession can help you from making similar mistakes. Happy gaming! Hi, this is Heather Stern and I'm looking to pass something into Dungeon Masteries Block's 100th episode about what our, um... What would be my worst trouble in game mastering? I have to say that a lack of insight about what my players really want is probably my biggest danger. It makes it hard for me to describe what they really want to hear in order to envision the same thing as I think I'm painting. It makes the people who are listening to the same description hear different things. It makes all sorts of things get crazier. It isn't even about sandbox or rails or... Any of that sort of thing. When the, when I don't know what people want and they say that they want or need some other thing other than what they want or need, then I end up not being able to provide it and not being able to tell that that's what I didn't provide. Now, this is probably true of a lot of things in life and not just game mastery, but when it comes to game mastery, it's a lot less fun when part of every hour is spent on people arguing that they didn't see the same thing because they're actually sitting in their armchairs rolling dice instead of really being out there camping with audiogs or something. <laughs> so that's my biggest trouble. Uh, that's my biggest pain. Uh, but the way that I try to get around it is I try to make sure to use pictures as well as uh, verbiage that describes things. I try to use things that I hope will appeal to at least two or three characters around the table so that some fascinated player among the set will feel like they get to explain it to the others. Uh, and I hope to have players that actually work with each other enough that they appreciate that, that they enjoy that, that they're working together. Because, in my opinion, Dungeons & Dragons is not a spectator sport. It is here for people to work together. So, I hope that that helps somebody out there. Pay attention. Listen good. Leave spaces for other people to talk. Make everyone leave spaces for the others to talk. Find a way to be a moderator. Interrupt them a little. And when all comes push to shove, 
Pushing and shoving, not such the good thing. It's supposed to be a game about teamwork. Something is supposed to be taken down. People are supposed to be heroes. That shouldn't take really hard insight that people are supposed to be heroes, but I thought I'd better mention it anyway. Yeah, I think that idea, like Mark was talking about, about developing the whole story, whether it's a piece of fan fiction that you write or whether it's just you have the game mapped out the way that you want it to go and you basically have a novel written out and you want the characters to fit into that sort of story, it can be really hard when they rub up against how your preconceived idea of how it should go goes. So, you know, we have this, we have this problem sometimes as DMs that I often run into that I struggle with internally is how much creativity do I allow my players within this preconceived notion of how I want the story to go. It, it's really, really difficult sometimes to allow our players' creativity to shine through. And yet, like we've talked about in so many of these, sometimes the most fun that happens at the table is when we allow our players' creativity to shape and change the way that our either fan fiction or, or the story we've written ends up going. Like that, that in, in and of itself, it's like having a whole group of editors around your story saying, these are the things that we can do together to make this story better that fits us. And then they go and actually play it and do it, that sort of thing. And I, I, I think allowing our players that sort of creative liberty can really help us out in the end as DMs. Yeah, and I think sometimes like that's a way that we as DMs can really like have the most fun too, is if we allow ourselves to be flexible and to allow our players to do what they came to the table to do and help us create the story that we're running for them. Like if we don't let them like go off on different paths and allow them to change the story, like we're also looking at a piece of paper and going, yay, I did my checklist and nothing changed and my story was stagnant. Like that can be boring as well. Like let as let us as DMs, as GMs, like realize that this is a way for us to like play the game as well and to see um, how things go and to improvise. We have to like be on our feet and say, all right, cool. Like you're gonna change this, let's change it. I mean, most of the time it does not change the overarching story anyway. You can work with it. You may need a little time to think about it. Right. <laughs> it, may be, it may be giving you something difficult to work with, but that's what DMing is sometimes and that's a beautiful part of it. Hey guys, this is Rodrigo Lopez from the Critical Hit Podcast uh, on the Major Spoilers Network. We're talking about uh, kind of mistakes that we've made as uh, game masters. And uh, I, I mean, obviously, we've all made uh, some sort of mistake at, at one point or another. You know, like you don't plan for something, you over plan for something. But uh, for me, probably the most regrettable mistakes actually uh, involved who I invited to the game. I think sometimes uh, we feel a lot of social pressure to invite certain people, even if they're not a good fit for the game. Or, you know, we're still, you know, we all know people that are kind of bully type people and, and or, or just like very selfish. And a lot of the time, once you get them into that game situation, that stuff just get amplified, right? Because they can do that without consequences or at least without personal consequences. Obviously, there's consequences in game, but they don't care about those. I don't know. I talk to a lot of starting players, a lot of young game masters, and they, they're always like, yeah, you know, my game's going great, except I have this player that does this, 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 and this. And I'm like, why is that player in your game? And really the reason is uh, it's that social structure that already exists, right? They're already friends or they already ha all hang out together in a group. And it can honestly, that's why this keeps happening. It's because socially it's very hard to be like, no, 
Frankie, you're not allowed to come to the game because you're terrible. So that, you know, if you, and the only way to combat this is to kind of grown up up and tell someone that they're not coming to the game or I guess you can kind of sneak around and play behind their back, but eventually they're going to find out. So eventually, uh, unless this is someone that you very seldom see, you're going to have to have that conversation, right? And that is the difficult part, but honestly, it's worth it because there's no point in playing if nobody's actually having fun, right? It's like you can't know how good a game is without having those interruptions on those problems until you play one, until you actually play with a group where everybody gets along and you can actually focus on the role-playing or you can focus on the combat or whatever you like about role-playing games, whatever the group is into. Um, so, yeah, definitely some of my biggest uh, errors, I think, early on were just being like, hey, there's this person that I know, come and play. And it turned out to be awful kind of uh, toxic and terrible in a lot of ways. So that got serious. On a lighter note, uh, you should check out my show, also on a very uh, self-promotional note. Uh, So that's the Critical Hit Podcast on the Major Spoilers Network. Uh, I do want to thank Mitch and the DMB guys for putting this together. It's a great idea. And uh, yeah, hopefully not everybody was a huge downer like me, and there's actually some funny ones on here. Thanks, guys, and... uh, We'll talk later. Hello, heroes. This is James D'Amato from the One Shot Podcast. I'd like to start off by congratulating Dungeon Master's Block on reaching 100 episodes. Mitch, Phil, Chris, and Neil have made an amazing show. And of course, you all know that because you're listening. But they're only half of this equation. The rest is you. Being in podcasting as long as I have, I know it's not an easy job. But the one thing that keeps you going when it's at its hardest is a loyal, engaged, and enthusiastic audience. Thank you so much for giving DMs Block your support. I guarantee that you've helped them in ways that you'd never know. But as much as this episode is about championing our successes, it's also, much more explicitly, about acknowledging our failures. The lesson that took me the longest to learn is one that's probably pretty obvious to most people starting out. And it's also one of the major reasons One Shot is such a success today. Your games can only be as good as the people at the table with you. GMs are put into a kind of uncomfortable position. Whether we like it or not, the title of GM carries a social authority with it. When there are interpersonal conflicts at your table, even if you're not involved in them, it's going to affect your game. And the one person who has the authority to solve it is often you. Back in college, over one of our summer breaks, I was running my third or so game. I was playing with friends from high school, people that I hadn't seen in ages. And not everybody was into D&D, because it was something that I discovered in school. My college schedule had me playing in a game almost every day. Being at home, away from school, away from my friends who did game, I was jonesing for another game. And because I didn't have enough interest amongst my high school friends... I had to go outside of our regular friend group to find other players and round out the party. Under normal circumstances, I think it's fine to invite strangers to your table. You can't make new friends if you don't go out and find new people. That said, it's entirely possible to introduce somebody who will disrupt your game's dynamic and introduce a toxic environment to your fun time. When this happens, you have to read the room, prioritize the safety of your players, try to talk things out, and perhaps even kick someone out of your game. We were playing D&D 3.5, which is real crunchy and can get unbalanced super easy. I was playing with a group of entirely new players. Personally, I was used to playing in harsh, power-gamey environments where the GM and players were at each other's throats. 
the majority of my group was not looking for that kind of game, and they could not have handled that kind of game. I answered a notice on the community board at our local game store and invited two new people to my table. They were experienced players. I told them since they knew the game, they could build whatever they wanted. We were doing a really weird urban campaign where the players had based their characters around philosophical ideals. Up to that point, a huge portion of the game had been based on inter-party interactions. Having someone who represented agnostic communism butt heads with somebody who represented religious dualism was the bread and butter of our stupid game. <laughs> the session where I introduced our new players called for a near-death experience. I had put together a monster that was a couple CR higher than the party because I wanted to put the fear of God into him and not kill him. Unfortunately, my new players at level six had come in with characters who had an AC of 34. Needless to say, our session did not go as planned. I tried to talk to the new players about their characters. However, they were very adamant that I hadn't given them any guidelines for building and they refused to re-roll. That should have been enough for me to send them away, but I didn't. I tried to keep that game limping along, and it eventually fell apart because the party was unbalanced. When I came to the table with monsters that were appropriate to our new players, the original party suffered for it. I eventually had to put a stop to that campaign, but instead of forming a new group without the interlopers, I invited them back for a game of Shadowrun, and once again, they made characters that were problematic for the table. This time, I had given them very specific instructions, and they didn't listen. Meanwhile, I wasn't the only one at the table having problems with them. It wasn't just a mechanical imbalance. My friends, who were experiencing role-playing games for the first time, felt intimidated by these folks. And, unknown to me, one of the new players was making one of my friends very uncomfortable. Personally. I could tell something was wrong with my group. But I thought it was because the games that I was running weren't good enough. I took a look at that social toxicity, and I assumed it was solely my fault. And, in a way, it was. The problem our table was experiencing was players who didn't click with the rest of the group, and a GM who didn't do anything about it. These days, I see one of the major roles of the GM as reading social dynamics and managing people. Role-playing games are powered by empathy, and taking that empathy out of the game and using it to help your group ensures a much more stable, safe, and fun experience for everybody there. Unfortunately, that time, I didn't do it. And unfortunately, because of those experiences, some folks at the table who were trying role-playing games for the first time never came back. Social dynamics matter. And as GM, they're partially your responsibility. And those out-of-game skills will help you master in-game skills. I guess what I'm trying to say is that in many ways, your best and most versatile tool as a GM is the power of friendship. Is the power of friendship. <clears throat> Thanks again to the DMs Block for 100 amazing episodes. And thanks to you for listening. I just want to thank Rodrigo and James for giving some advice on probably one of the most difficult pieces potentially at your table is having someone that essentially you don't want there anymore. I know I had some troubles with that early on and then I became pretty stringent on who I would allow at my table because of those experiences essentially i won't let anyone i won't let any of my players invite someone else to the table unless i've vetted them because it's a big time investment for me and a big time investment for the people at the table and if you bring someone in that's toxic 
it almost tarnishes everything that's come before and makes everything that's going to come after that much more difficult. You need to be willing to step up for what you've created and for what you're creating with your players. If someone is toxic, you either need to address it then or in the unfortunate extreme case is remove them from your table. And I know Rodrigo and James would definitely agree with this too, but it doesn't always mean... I mean, I would say it doesn't mean just going, you're done, get out of here. But as DM, a lot of times we are the ones that have to take on the, you know what, I've got to talk to this person and make sure that this stops. And if it doesn't stop, I think it's this whole idea of making the table a safe environment where everybody feels comfortable playing and everybody feels like they can enjoy themselves. And if somebody's stopping that, if somebody's a a bully type character that not character because that can be okay but person and like bullying around the table like that's that's not okay never let chevy chase play at your table (laughs) (laughs) he will run off with your friend's sword great words of wisdom from dm chris (laughs) (laughs) well this has been our 100th episode where we've talked about confessions we've had so many awesome guests here we thank every single one of our guests for making this episode the awesome episode that it is we hope this is our hope for this episode we hope that you out there as the listener are listening to everyone who is here to us as hosts on this show just saying hey listen we screw up (laughs) like we mess up we have mistakes we still make mistakes even though this is something that we're obsessed with and we're we're always talking about it on our shows this is something that we make mistakes with all the time it's running games and it's just a learning and growing experience so we hope that this is encouraging to you and maybe that there were a couple confessions that you just really keyed in on and was like that's me too and that's something i want to grow in as well but hey This is our 100th episode, and this is just a phenomenal place for us to be. We are going to, of course, keep bringing you awesome Dungeon Masters block content. With that, though, I believe, Chris, you do have a message to our listeners. Yeah, and it's, you know, this has been a a great episode 100, and uh, I don't really know how to say this other than... This is going to be my last episode as a regular host of the Dungeon Masters block. I, it's been a hard decision. Uh, it's been it's not been a easy decision by any means. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with people about this, but I am stepping back as one of the hosts of the Dungeon Masters block for the foreseeable future. Um, it's been great. It's been a fun ride. Uh, I'm I'm not looking at Mitch right now because I'll probably cry <laughs> because this has been so much fun to watch this grow from our first episode saying, yeah, I think my wife or my, my fiance is listening to this <laughs> and maybe three other people to now having a whole community on the forums and on Twitter. And it's really hard to step back from something that you've put so much uh, time and energy into. Um, I just want to say thank you. You guys have been a great community. Uh, I'll still be active and around, but just not hosting the show as much as I have in the past. And the best part about it, my last piece of advice ever to you all was <laughs> don't let Chevy Chase play at your table. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and I, I know I can speak for both me and Neil. We're super sad to see you go. Uh, we understand, yeah. but we've talked quite a bit <laughs> about how much of a bummer it is for us. 
Um, but it's understandable, and I know our listeners will understand as well. So if you're out there listening, uh, just definitely tweet at Chris and just tell him that all of his time uh, was super appreciated. He's not dying, so like we don't need to shed tears. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, like he said, he'll still be around. He'll tweet back to you. <laughs> but we we very much appreciate every ounce of energy he's put into this show, yep. uh, and we do hope that uh, time allowing that he will be on as a guest host uh, in the future for this show, for the GM Showcase, for all those shows that we are a part of. I just want to thank you both, and especially you right now, Chris, for giving me the opportunity to do this at all. Like, it's super crazy to think back on my initial messages to you guys and joining the group, and now at this point, you know, heading out to a catacon and just all the involvement. And, I mean, long story short, we're friends before we're podcasters. So Mm. we'll be around. I'll tweet you hilarious things all the I got time. one. If no one else does, I'll tweet to you. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the DMB. We hope that this has been a very encouraging episode to you as DMs out there that uh, you're not alone. We all mess up and we can all grow and learn together from our mistakes. Neil, if our listeners would like to reach out to us, if they would like to send us an email, maybe about a past mistake they've had, or maybe about uh, a way that they've overcome a mistake that they used to do a lot in their games, where can they reach us at? They can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like the show and wanted to help support us even more, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, and you'll get a shout-out here on the episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, those two places are the best place for you to go for that. This podcast is part of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out some of our other shows like The GM Showcase, Story Arc, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. For all of that, you can search Block Party Podcast Network on iTunes, or you can go to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. And that'll be it for the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. Good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon... No, Dungeon Master Neil. It sounds so (laughs) weird. Do you guys always say Dungeon Master and not DM? Uh, We do. We switch it up. Yeah, But you have to do what we say. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, three guests today. Why do we have three guests today? Are we guests or are we hosts? Hosts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, three hosts today. You know, we've only been doing this for a hundred episodes as of this episode. All right. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) So I just want to thank Rodrigo and James for giving probably what? Not true. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wrong. Dang. I don't know what he's doing. I'm I'm making fun of Donald Trump from the first presidential election where he's interrupting Hillary Clinton the whole time. You jerk. Never said that. (laughs) Wrong. Fact check.
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, his name is Rodrigo. <laughs> That's how you say it. <laughs> oh, but it doesn't have, but that says just Rodrigo. Don't Rod worry about my spelling. You read it right. There's three consonants in a row. That's not how English works. <laughs> Roger Rodrigo. Rodrigo Lopez. <laughs> All right, All right we'll go we back. Got some good bloopers. <laughs> Goodbye.